the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, attorney, estate planning attorney in San Jose and host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I have so many things I want to say on the show today, but I don't want to say them because I might offend a whole bunch of people. Suffice it to say that I'm tired of how our state is right now, and I'm hopeful that our governor will let Disneyland finally reopen um, so that the economy of Anaheim and Orange County isn't completely destroyed because of this pandemic shutdown. Um, I'm selfish too. My my family and I, we love going to Disneyland and we have missed it mightily these last six months. Um, we are planning to go there in a couple of weeks to go to downtown Disney so we at least have some of the Disney experience. We're hopeful, but not, um, not you know, I would say guardedly optimistic I am. My, my wife is completely... Uh, against what I'm about to say, but I'm guardedly optimistic that the governor will finally let Disney reopen, maybe in time, excuse me, in time for us to actually go there and experience a day at Disney again. But um, the shutdown, my kids being sequestered at home, doing their school remotely, that's, it's just not working well at all. Good news for my children, though. Their school has told them that they will be able to return on the, I think it's the 14th of October, when uh, their school starts reopening for in-person instruction. Their grade will return on Wednesday of that week, which I think is the 14th of October. I could be wrong about that. I've lost track of time, as I'm sure many of you have. And uh, they are eager to get back to school so they can at least be with friends of theirs and at least talk with them at recess and visit with them a little after school. They're going to be sent home in the middle of the day without having a lunch hour and complete their school day remotely from home. That's because they don't want the older children, the middle schoolers, mixing around at lunchtime without masks on and things like that. But at least they're going to get a chance to go back to school. I have heard that um, some theaters in uh, Santa Cruz County, the Cinelux theaters in Scotts Valley and Capitola, are open. If you have a hankering to see a movie in person again, 
Um, they have limits on, on how many people can be in there, but certainly it's worth considering. You can also go to the, uh, the Capitol Drive-In here in San Jose where they're showing um, double features pretty much every night. It uh, doesn't look like they have much fare for the, the younger folk. Seems to be mostly movies for adults. Um, but again, kids shouldn't be staying up that late anyway, right? <laughs> um, in any event, um, if you'd like to call in with a question today that you'd like to ask me, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Now, I have noticed um, in, in the last few weeks, I have had just a an upswelling of attorneys and others contacting me um, to do Hegstat petitions. It seems to be, uh, that seems to be one of the big things right now. Uh, a lot of people, of course, since I deal with people from around the state, uh, the better known that I get in other parts of the state the more and more people are likely to contact me or refer others to me just because of the sheer numbers involved. Um, I currently market to about 1,500 estate planning attorneys around the state of California, and a good number of them are in Southern California, where these problems come up all the time and they don't have great solutions uh, because the court system is so clogged. Um, if you have a situation like that where you have a trust where a parent has died and you discovered that their house was not in their trust or they had a really big investment account, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar brokerage account that was not in their trust, um, if there's assets in the name of someone when they die or payable to their estate, greater than $166,250, and that person had a trust and had either a schedule of assets that identified that property on it, but it was never transferred into the trust ownership, or else they have a special type of will called a pour-over will that directs everything to be turned over to their trust. And you're wondering, do I have to go to probate and probate this pour-over will to get that dad's house into his trust now that he's died? Well, the answer is no. I can help. I can do a Hegstat petition. I can do it for people anywhere in the state of California involving real estate and bank accounts anywhere in the state. It doesn't matter what county. The only thing that matters is that everybody whose interests are affected have to agree that I can be permitted to do that petition for the family in order to solve that problem without going through the whole probate process. It's something that I do. It's something that I do all the time. I have four of those petitions I'm working on right now, and I just got off the phone about 10 minutes ago with someone from Los Angeles, and that might be another one of those petitions. So if you're facing that situation, feel free to give me a call at 408-247-0444. Or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com, and I can respond to that as well. Uh, if you want more information, you can visit my dedicated website, hegstathelp.com. Hegstat, spelled H-E-G-G, 
H-E-X-T-A-D, and then the word help.com, hextadhelp.com, and that will give you more information. So I'm going to pick up a, a couple of questions and comments from around the state of California for this first segment today. And I'm going to start first with um, a question that came out of Modesto. And uh, the person said, my sister and I are very close. Uh, we inherited some property from our parents and we are co-owners in equal shares. But the property manager we hired to handle the property for us said that according to county records, my sister is the only order, only owner. Um, I had the deed researched, and the owner is Jane Smith Trust et al. My name is not there. Is this the correct way to handle the deed? Well, the likelihood is that it, that you looked up in the county records, and they don't have enough room to list every single person that's on the title as an owner. So the Hazel, in this case, the Jane Smith Trust would probably be the sister's trust, and the et al. means there's more people named after that person, and that's probably where the missing brother's name is. The only way to be absolutely sure how the title is is to look at the deed that shows the names on the title. I think there, if you do that, you're going to find out that both are actually on the title. Uh, if you just search the title records... Or, or the, the property tax records, it won't necessarily know, show uh, everybody's name on there. Well, we're coming up on the end of the first segment of the show today. I do want to encourage you, if you'd like to ask me a question on the air, call me at 800-516-1220. You can also email your question to me at radio at lawbob.com. But um, well, after this first break... We'll be coming back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I have a whole stack of them here to go through, and, um, and hopefully you'll learn something today that you didn't know before the hour started. So we'll talk with you after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. On AM 1220, KDOW. Hi, welcome back, Bay Area. <clears throat> Had to get myself a drink of water during the break. A little bit dry today. Uh, I don't know if that means it's not going to rain. I suspect it's not going to rain for a while. Uh, the reports I saw said that we're supposed to have very bad air this upcoming weekend, uh, tomorrow and the day after. Hopefully that's not the case. Maybe we'll get some last-minute uh, pressure zone that will cause a stiff breeze to go through the area and blow away all the smoke, but we'll see. Uh, if it is bad, I urge you all <clears throat> stay inside. Don't go out unless you have to, or else consider traveling to another part of the state, at least for a day, which is what my family is planning to do. <clears throat> Our plan, I think, right now is to head down to Monterey, see if we can enjoy the uh, seals down there, maybe eat at Bubba Gump's down there near the aquarium and just kind of generally uh, get a um, get get out of the uh, Bay Area for a day and um, and enjoy ourselves a bit down there uh, so let's go on with more questions and comments from around the state of California I'm going to give the number one more time 800-516-1220 if you want to call in uh, if no one calls in today, that's fine. I have plenty of things to go over here today, and hopefully you'll learn something new. 
and uh, or you'll hear something and realize, oh my gosh, that's what my friend is going through, or this family member's going through, or or what you are going through, and there's someone like me that might be able to help. Now here's someone that said, I established my trust about five years ago. I only have one living relative, um, a nephew, and I made him my successor trustee. Things have changed, and I don't want him as my successor trustee. I don't have any friends who will do this for me. What can I do? Well, the short answer is if you don't have friends or family members that you know or trust to handle things for you, then what you're probably going to need to do is go and interview either, either some licensed individual fiduciaries or go interview the trust department of a bank or a trust company to see if they're willing to be named in your estate plan to take over as the successor trustee for you. You'd be working very closely with them. Make sure they have copies of everything. Make sure they also have the ability to find out what's going on with you medically to determine whether or not they're supposed to take over, all kinds of things like that. They need to be able to uh, be aware of uh, if and when you become incapacitated or you have passed away. Licensed individual fiduciaries are uh, men and women who have been licensed by the state of California to act in a fiduciary capacity in reference to um, other people. Fiduciary means the legal obligation to look out for the best interests of the person you're acting for, um, even in preference to the best interest for you. Uh, so fiduciaries have special legal obligations to the people that they are representing or that they are assisting. A licensed individual fiduciary, many of them uh, in Santa Clara County, for example, started their careers working in the public guardian's office. The public guardian's office is the office, every county has one, and it's the office where people are put in charge of the estates of, uh, of people who have um, become incapacitated uh, and, uh, and they don't have anybody that they have named or they don't have anybody who's willing to step forward and say, I will take care of this person through a conservatorship. So the public guardian is appointed by the court to take charge of that person's assets, sometime to take charge of that person as well, uh, making medical and health care decisions for them because they don't have anybody else who is available or who is willing to take on that responsibility. So most licensed individual fiduciaries that I have met have started their careers working for the county public guardian's office, which means they have a lot of experience working with uh, fiduciary obligations, working with various types of assets, investing them, paying bills, things like that. They tend to be the least expensive alternative if you need to name a trustee for your estate plan because the licensed individual fiduciaries will typically charge on an hourly basis. So if they touch your file and do something, then they will charge you for it. If, they, if they're not doing something, there's no charges for that. They also often have staff that are billed out at various rates. A licensed individual fiduciary um, might be $150 an hour, maybe more, maybe less. 
They will typically have staff people, maybe a paralegal, maybe a secretary or clerk that who, whose time would be billed out at a lower amount than the uh, fiduciary's amount. And uh, so they tend to be the most cost-effective overall of any kind of uh, person you could name to act as a trustee. Uh, lawyers and CPAs also can serve as uh, fiduciaries, but very, very few actually serve in that capacity because of the potential liability to them and maybe because their practice does not permit them to devote the time um, to actually acting as a fiduciary. Then you have trust companies, which are independent companies set up just for the purpose of handling trust and acting as trustees. And then you have the trust departments of banks. Uh, most major banks have a trust department or they acquired a trust company that is effectively their trust department. For example, like U.S. Bank and Trust for Bank of America. Uh, here locally, we have some community banks. We have uh, Mechanics Bank in Richmond. We have First Republic. We have Morrell Bank and Trust up the peninsula. And over in the East Bay, we also have Fremont Bank, which has a trust department as well. I have a fondness for Fremont Bank's trust department because years ago, um, I actually uh, had left the practice of law. I was burnt out and I went to work. I was engaged as the first business development officer for Fremont Bank for their brand new trust department that they had just started. So my job was to go out and try to bring business into the trust department. Um, and, and that so I did that today my counterpart is Greg Finn Finn with two N's he's a great guy and uh, Fremont Bank has their trust department has grown tremendously since the uh, since its origins and now they have several trust officers they have a whole complete staff and what I really like about them is they do kind of specialize in working in the special needs trust area which means they are very well versed in how to handle trust set up for disabled people to make sure that they do not uh, make payments or pay for things that would cause someone to lose their benefits, their Medi-Cal benefits or their SSI for income. Um, so that is something they kind of specialize in and I um, utilize them for that purpose all the time. So yes, that's a free unsolicited plug for Fremont Bank's trust department. Um, I really, really admire them over there. We're coming up on the end of the second break of the show today. we got maybe 20 seconds left. But I urge you to stay tuned for the second half of the show when I cover more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll see you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, we're in the second half of the show today, so I'm going to take a running start and jump right in. Here is someone out of Riverside that asked the question, do I need a trust? Here's her background. 57-year-old single mom, one child, Basically, everything that is that she owns will be that child's. This includes a home, 
uh, two paid-for cars, all the contents of the house, plus bank accounts and a 457 account. That's a deferred compensation account. So what is best, a will or a trust? I know in a trust, if I sell my current home, it's more difficult. I'm confused. I want to do something soon just in case. Well, I would tell this person they should have a trust even if they want to sell the home. It's not more difficult to sell your home if it's in a trust. You just sell it and you sign the deed as the trustee of your trust. But there's some real advantages to having a trust to own a house and own bank accounts and things like that. First one is that anything owned by the trust will bypass the probate process entirely. Uh, and what that means is you don't have to go through the probate court to get that property passed on to, in this case, to her only child. She can also name her child as the trustee of the trust to take over from her if she becomes incapacitated or to take over when mom passes away. Uh, included with that, she should also have an advanced health care directive to deal with medical and health care issues and a financial power of attorney to deal with um, with anything that is not related to the trust. For example, accessing funds in that 457 deferred compensation plan. Uh, that would be a big one right there. But another advantage of having a trust is that it has to do with with um, nursing home care and paying for the cost of nursing home care. We have a program in California called Medi-Cal, which is the Medicaid program. They just have a catchy name here in California called Medi-Cal, which of course confuses everybody because they confuse Medi-Cal with Medicare um, or Medi-Cal with just medical because it's kind of spelled the same way, only with a little dash between the Medi and the Cal part. And Medi-Cal program, you can qualify for the Medi-Cal program even if you have a residence. The deal is that the residence doesn't count against you for purposes of determining eligibility to get assistance from the state to pay for your nursing home care. But if you still own that property in your individual name when you die, the state has the right to go back, in most cases, and demand that they be paid back for all the money paid out for your benefit in the Medi-Cal system. Um, whereas if you take and put that house into a trust, like a revocable living trust, which is what I think this person should be looking at, then that means on your death, even if you received Medi-Cal benefits for uh, paying for your nursing home, they will not have a right to recover, under the current law, to recover against that house, which means this person, if she went into a nursing home, qualified for Medi-Cal, her house could still pass on to her only child at the death of the mother. That's a big deal, and that's why I think anybody who owns a residence in the state of California, it should be owned by a living trust. Even if the only thing that you have is that house. I'm talking with a family right now where that's the case. Uh, it's a father. He owns a house. He's owned the house for a long time, since the 1960s. You can imagine that. And he has the house, and he gets Social Security, and he gets a small pension, and that's it. Doesn't have really much of any other assets, a few thousand dollars in the bank, but that house is a very valuable asset. It's here in San Jose. 
I'm sure it's worth several hundred thousand dollars. It's owned free and clear. And if he has to go into a nursing home, that's what we we're talking about today with this family. If he has to go into a nursing home, they're looking at having that house potentially be taken or have to be sold after the father dies to pay back the state. <clears throat> so for this person, I think they should, at a, at a very minimum, they should be looking at having a trust, uh, a living trust, and then there's other documents that go with an estate plan. But there's so many potential problems that could be solved by having the property in a living trust. <clears throat> now, here's an um, interesting one out of Los Angeles. Uh, it's interesting to me. I don't know if it'll be, <clears throat> be as interesting to you, but <clears throat> here's the deal. Um, can real property be quit-claimed back into a living trust if the owner of the trust is now deceased. Okay, pursuant to the poor of will of, of uh, Dad, uh, his son Stephen was nominated to be the personal representative under the will. Dad's house vesting, meaning the title, was changed to his individual name for refinance purposes. Oh, here we go. Was changed from the trust to the owner of the trust and another son as joint tenants. Ooh, that is not good. The thing is, all of the heirs of the person who died, including the son that was put on as a joint tenant, now wish to quit claim or return the property back to the trust because it was supposed to be in the trust. It means that the son here, we'll call him John, the son here, who is the other joint tenant, he now actually legally owns the property. <clears throat> I'll tell you, the, the son cannot quit claim it back to the trust because the trust has no real ability um, to handle that property being returned back. I think in a case like this, the better approach would be to go to court with a Hegstat petition and have the trust trustee of the trust assert that this property over here really is and was intended to be a trust property. This transfer that was done out of the trust was done solely for refinance purposes and they were not able to return it back to the trust. Even the person that was the other joint tenant on the property agrees it should be in the trust. Uh, that's the kind of thing where I don't think I'd have any problem going through um, any problem going through uh, a court uh, that I work with to have them say, you know, yes, this really was a trust asset and it should be returned back into the ownership of the trust so that the trustee of the trust can handle it and divide it up presumably between all of the children, not have it all go to one of the children who recognizes it's not really supposed to come all to me. And that's a good thing. Because uh, sometimes you run into situations where where they look at it and they say, oh, whoopee, I own the property now because Dad put it into my name and his name as joint tenants. And, oh, well, you know, and, and they just, they don't do the right thing. I know that's hard to believe that sometimes there are siblings that do not do the right thing after the parents are gone. You know, I know it's hard to believe. And I know I'm probably talking and there's people listening right now where they have siblings that did not do 
the right thing after the last parent died. They went into the house and they cleared out all the personal stuff they wanted. They didn't bother talking with anybody else. They just took it. Or they had something, a situation like this, where they were put on the title as a joint tenant with a parent to do a refinance of the property. And then the parent died. And they say, whoop, it's mine now. Uh, even though everyone knew that that was not what the parent intended. So, so that's uh, kind of that situation. Now here, okay, okay, this is similar. I wonder if this is this might be just a variation on the on the theme here. Uh, no, let's see. Yeah, it it looks like uh, yeah, it looks like it it might be the same, but it could be a slightly different one here person wants to know, um, I need to transfer a Los Angeles property from a deceased person into their trust. Um, what are the steps to take? This would be a Hegstat petition. Um, and the person said, since it's in Los Angeles, they don't know what to do because with COVID-19, everything is, is all mucked up. They actually said mucked up. And, uh, and it says trustees out of state, so long distance, and they don't really know, uh, what they can do with that. Um, I think I have, uh, let's see, how much time do I have left in this segment? Okay, thank you. Uh, you all didn't hear that, but I had to ask my producer because I thought he might have given me less time than I had. But a situation like this, you would probably want to do a Hegstat petition for a matter like this because um, because the, the Hegstat petition would, would be able to clear the title up and make sure that it's titled properly in the trust of the parent. And it's like I said at the at the top of the show, I do this kind of thing a lot. Uh, I'm probably at the point now where I'm doing anywhere from four to six of these petitions a month, and I will not be surprised if by the end of the year I'm doing six to eight of these petitions a month uh, because it's a major problem around the state. So... Let's see here. Yeah, I've got uh, got about a minute left. I'm going to hold until after the break because I have some kind of uh, little complicated ones coming up after the break. So um, if you do want to call in, it's 800-516-1220. I'm happy to take your call. And, uh, and you can also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you'd rather communicate a question to me that way. But given that we we have one more segment in the show today and roughly 25 seconds to go in this segment, I'll just say, please stick with me through the end of the show. There's a couple of interesting situations coming up. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I hope you'll stay with me for the last segment of the show today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Okay, welcome back. Here's a question that comes out of San Francisco, and it has to do with um, a couple that are registered domestic partners and not married. Now, as registered domestic partners, they said, we hold our house as community property with right of survivorship which is something that is permitted here in California. 
a registered domestic partnership is treated virtually the same as a marriage in California now. That's if it's registered at the state level, not if it's registered like in the county of San Francisco. That's not the same thing. But if it's registered at the state level, it's treated virtually the same as a marriage. So the question was, when one of us dies, will will the deceased partner's gross estate include the value of our house, the entire house, or just a half? Now, that, that's an important question because um, if they were married, then that would mean the entire, the gross estate of the deceased spouse would be half the value of the house, but it would be revalued for income tax purposes to the full fair market value of the house. That's what's called a step up in the cost basis. Um, so so that's actually a good thing. That works for any married couple in the United States if they own their property as community property or some form of community property, such as community property with right of survivorship, which is what this couple in San Francisco has. The problem is that that works for the state of California and it works for the federal government as long as you have a valid marriage. A registered domestic partnership, even though valid in California, that would get that community property uh, treatment in California is ignored at the federal level because our federal law does not recognize a registered domestic partnership as being any different than just two people who own property together. Um, It doesn't matter what their relationship is, how long it's been there. It doesn't matter how devoted they are to one another. At the federal level, they would be considered two unrelated parties and the step up in basis would only be of the half of the partner that just died if it's passing to the other partner which means there's literally half of the income tax benefit if you're registered domestic partners and one of the partners dies. So those of you right now who are registered domestic partners and you've been saying, well, we don't want to do the marriage thing because we don't believe in marriage or it's just not, it doesn't feel right to us. Just be aware that that choice does have real world consequences when one of you dies if you own real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds together as community property or community property with right of survivorship under California law, it will not be treated that way under the federal tax law when one of you dies. Uh, Regardless of what the title says here, the federal tax law is clear. Registered domestic partners are not the equivalent of a married couple. Now, now, if you're uh, a gay, gay or lesbian couple, you can get married now in California, and the marriage is recognized throughout the country. I think you can pretty get pretty much get married in any state now. Um, but so that's something to consider if you're looking at the long-term tax consequences for the survivor view. Maybe it's time to get married in the state of California so that your marriage is recognized for all purposes at the federal level. Right now, it's not. Okay, so let's move on here. Um, 
Okay, let's see. Da, 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 da. All right, I'm not going to do that one. That one's much too complicated to try and do on the air. Okay, uh, how do I inherit property from a spouse who died without a will? My husband died without a will. He had a condominium in San Diego that we lived in for about 24 year, 25 years, but I found out I'm not on the title. What do I need to do to assume ownership? Well, if the property was um, owned by both of you and it was your name was just not on the title, it might actually be community property under the law. Um, this person might be able to petition the court in San Diego uh, or wherever, yeah, in San Diego County, uh, what's called a spousal property petition, and assert that this property was community property and half was owned by the surviving spouse, half was owned by the husband who died, and therefore it should pass to her. Um, the other possibility, though, is that if it's not really community property, if it was separate property that was just owned by the husband and always was just his property, then you're probably looking at probating what's called an intestate probate. And that may end up having the husband's children be involved, uh, and they may actually be entitled to a share of the property. But any way you slice it, you're going to have to end up in the probate court doing something. Well, we're almost done with the show today. I hope you learned some things. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed doing it today. I'm looking forward to doing many, many more shows in the future here on Plan Your Estate Radio. Feel free to give me a call. Send me an email at radio at lawbob.com. Always interested in hearing from people in my radio audience. Um, it encourages me to keep doing this. So until next Friday... This is your host, Bob Bergman, estate planning attorney in San Jose, host of Plan Your State Radio. Have a safe weekend. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.